Hello and welcome to the Light from Light podcast. You're here with me, Brother Thomas Therese, comma OP, and him, Daniel. In our last episode, uh, we spoke about influencers and influences. Uh, we spoke about, you know, how our grandparents had played a big role in our life. I spoke about how Dan had taught me a lot about the Lord and encouraged me to be a better person and grow in, grow in holiness. And likewise, likewise yourself. Yeah, and... In, in my life, you played a key role. Isn't it funny that both are grandmas? Yeah, that, I, I thought that was quite interesting. I was talking to somebody else about the podcast earlier in the week, and they thought that that was actually a really interesting feature. Uh, he also <laughs> berated me for not talking about some other people. But <laughs> oh, that's always gonna, it's always going to be the case, isn't it? But actually, all right, here's an opportunity for you to talk about other people, because I was thinking about how many people in my own life have played a key part. So, for example, my granddad, my Grandma, your mum, my mum, yourself. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and other, you know, other key people mm. um, who've played a key part in my journey of faith. But what about yourself? Because within your family, yeah, uh, I think you, you've said previously, perhaps your your mum or your aunties um, wouldn't have played a key, a key um, intentional, active, proactive role in, in your faith. Well, they do, they do, but in but in sort of interesting ways. It's not because they had taught me sort of intellectual truths about the faith or anything like that. There were all sorts of other things actually that that my family taught me and ways in which they encouraged me and support me. They never made fun of me because of my religiosity, for example. They never treated me badly because I wanted to go to to church and that they they had disagreements with the church. They didn't, yeah, they didn't treat me badly uh, for my increasing religiosity over the years. And to some extent, maybe in part, my religiosity sort of grew in response to some of the things that I where I thought maybe they hadn't got things quite right you know yeah so very much so there were other people as well like my my nan's best friend dot uh i remember when i was growing up i was about seven years old dot was a very holy lady uh very very holy she had a very clear moral sense of right and wrong which she impressed upon me uh, as did my family but she was uh she could be a little bit more stern i think but also very kind and gracious uh, very often, actually, it was the elderly, actually, really, who who supported me. Uh, and it's interesting to note, isn't it, in that cultural phenomenon, very often it's the grandparents who will take the grandchildren to mass. And sometimes them, it, the, that sort of regular church going might skip a generation, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the younger generation is going to follow in their parents' footsteps. They might follow in their grandparents' footsteps. So, for example, like me. You know, uh, my my mum, as I've already discussed before, uh, isn't a regular mass goer, but I am. And uh, that sort of, yeah, that gift of faith was was given to me and my grandmother supported it and helped, helped me along that way. And um, she could help me in ways that maybe my mum couldn't. And my mum, of course, helped me in ways that my grandmother couldn't, you know. There are other people as well, like Christine. I mean, who I know you've, you've also met Christine from church, as, as most people know her. She, again, she, she really has been such a fantastic friend for my whole life and really supported me from all the way back from when I was seven years old, you know. 
she was the one who really wanted me to become an altar server and I resisted and resisted and resisted and in the end she got me and I'm glad that she got me because uh, I just got more and more involved in the in the church and I enjoyed it so much and it was so life-giving for me and supportive especially during during more difficult times in my life you know so yeah Christine and uh, Dot and my mum and my nan uh it's interesting actually especially up until fairly more well yeah more recently the vast majority of religious influences in my life were all women uh rather than men though i mean there were there were men who went to who went to mass at church and uh, i used to see them and they were very kind to me and uh, very supportive but the vast majority of people who really had a a really profound and strong influence on my faith and my growing closer to God and, and to his church were women. Yeah, Christine, Dot, my nan, my family, uh, my aunties. I think also in, in relation to my aunties, maybe just to say, and, and my mom, actually a big part of it was their objections or their questions that they had about the faith. That was one of the things that encouraged me to learn more intellectually about the faith and about the church so I could try to respond to some of the difficulties that they had and respond to some of the questions that they had or things that they didn't understand so that I could help remove those intellectual barriers to the faith and to the church. I'm not really sure how successful I've been with them but you know a prophet's never accepted in his own town as the scriptures say. I don't mean that in a sort of big-headed way but you know it's one of those things where it's you know in, with Jesus himself you know can anything good come from come from Nazareth there is a sense in which uh it's like well we know you we know that when you were when you were younger you could be rude or you could be a bit of a terror or you know you're just like everybody else and you're just like us and that's true I am exact I mean I am just like everybody else I've got the same flaws and everything that everybody else has I mean we all have our own favorite sins don't we <laughs> But at the same time, it doesn't mean that what I say is untrue. I think for my family, sometimes they think that I go a bit too far or I overstate my case. Obviously, I don't, because if I... Really? <laughs> if I did think I overstated my case, then it wouldn't be my opinion anymore, you know. But other people as well, teachers at school, you know. Uh, I, I promise I'll shut up now. My Two, two teachers in, in particular, Becky Jones and Kira Miller, also Stan and Kat and things, you know, the RE department in my school, Claire Kelly from the biology department. They were, they had a very big and profound impact on my, on my life and on my faith journey and really encouraged me to pursue wholeheartedly uh, with all my strength uh, an intellectual understanding uh, of the faith but of course it's not just about the intellect and that was something else that they also taught me that there's there's more than just the intellectual truths of the faith and they exemplified great virtues kindness generosity gentleness patience you know and they they really helped in an environment that that wasn't always sympathetic to religious people they were a, a shelter from the storm you know I remember us saying that my my granddad or a challenge that my granddad used to have that the you know the faith has to be lived, you know it's not just about thinking about it. It also has to be committed to and living. Mm -hmm. You have to live out. It's an invitation from God to live out uh, this relationship. So in all those questions, uh, those intellectual questions which your family would have and they would put to you those objections, where would you go looking for the answers? Oh, that's a good question. Well, actually, by and large, I didn't really know where to go. So when I was younger, I would go to the internet 
and I was part of uh, Catholic forums as it then was. I think it's now something else. <laughs> but um, yeah, I used to go to the internet a fair bit. I used to pray about it. Sometimes I'd ask, uh, you know, Christine from, from church sometimes. Sometimes, I mean, most of the time, the vast majority of the time, I'd go to the internet. And as I got a bit older, I started buying some more books. But that was really in my very, very late teens uh, to early 20s. Beginning with things on philosophy of religion and then moving more into theology when I went to university. But the vast majority of my, and this is one of the reasons why I think it's so important to have good balanced voices on the internet, uh, like for example, Bishop Robert Barron. And I hope I hope we would be a, a good balanced voice too, because you don't always find good balanced voices on the internet. And uh, I try to tell the brothers and others just how important it is that we're present on the internet. It's true that there's no substitute for in-person contact and things, but for a lot of people, especially when they're just starting out in their faith, they can be quite embarrassed. And so the first place that they go is the internet. And if they find stuff that's actually not very balanced, then they can get a distorted view of the church and a distorted view of church teaching. And I don't think that that's actually very helpful for them living a good and fruitful Catholic life. And I don't think that it will always help them be a better disciple. Sometimes it can encourage things like scrupulosity or it can encourage suspicion sometimes of people in the church. So you mentioned that you started buying books to answer some of the objections that your family or friends would have towards the faith. I remember you mentioned before about when you were at school, people would ask, would come to you as like the, the Catholic geek. <laughs> the fountain of knowledge, yeah. Yeah, who would have lots of answers. But where would you go then? So to, obviously to Catholic forums, as you mentioned, and maybe some video videos by Bishop Robert Barron. But then... I mean, Bishop Robert Barron... Bishop Robert Barron came on the scene very late for me. I mean, it was it was fairly... A, I mean, it was like 2007 and stuff, I think. But I never really saw Bishop Barron uh, or Father Barron as he then was until I went to university. That's when I really got into Bishop Barron. But, I mean, yeah, you're right. You know, people would come to me at, at uh, school and also at university and they'd sort of throw objections to the faith at me. Not so much my family, I should add, but, you know, other people in school, usually people who didn't like me uh, very much or people I didn't know very well. And because uh, I was known as like the Catholic one, uh, really in the school. I mean, there were other Catholics in the school, but I didn't really, I didn't know about them until one day I went to a confirmation and I saw them all there and I thought, oh, you're the other Catholics. Thanks for having my back, guys. Uh, <laughs> you know, in scripture, it says, be prepared to give an account of your faith at all times. And I really realized actually the formation that I had, uh, the catechesis that I'd had, the sort of homilies I was hearing, they weren't designed to answer the questions that people were challenging me with. It was around the time when the God Delusion by Richard Dawkins came out and I'd never really had a response to it. So I just sort of had to come up with one really on the spot. And every week, you know, they'd read a new chapter of the God Delusion and they just sort of thought that this was impeccable logic because it was very rhetorical. It was memorable, it was strong, it was in many ways actually very vicious. And because of this, they would sort of throw it at you and you sort of think, oh. And I was very disappointed by the sort of, I, I mean, there weren't really any people in my life who could really answer those questions either. They weren't the questions that they were asking and they didn't really care, to be honest. They just carried on with their, with their life and their faith. Yeah, they probably didn't come onto their radar, though. I mean, it's... It's not to it's not to give a disservice to 
those people like I, I remember being asked questions and I would go and ask some people but like if it's not on their radar if they're not well versed in like specific things about philosophy or you know philosophical objections to God then you know why why would we expect them to give an answer I often uh, come across this with the teenagers like they they will have questions and they will ask their their teacher at school or they ask their parents or grandparents and they, they won't be able to answer the question and my point is that my point to them is well you know your question is very good but just because you haven't received an answer from it doesn't mean there isn't one and you know where are you going to look for those answers because you can you can ask a question and go looking for the answer yeah. in all the wrong areas and you can do that with any discipline as well as theology or philosophy or yeah whatever questions you have you know and the thing about the god delusion was that it was bad philosophy it wasn't even good philosophy you know and there are lots of philosophies which are very influential which i would actually classify as bad philosophy you know i would actually say that david hume and i would say that descartes actually and to some extent and i'd say you know dawkins christopher hitchens it's actually just pretty bad philosophy if i'm honest but anyway i suppose we could have another episode on that about bad philosophy <laughs> or good philosophy maybe metaphysics really in terms of like so in, t in terms of in terms of the reading yeah who, who would you is there a, are there certain authors that you would go to yes so in terms of the god delusion and answering the new atheists answering richard dawkins et al there is a fantastic book short book very easy to understand and just as rhetorical but less vicious as the god delusion is a book called the dawkins delusion and it's by Alistair McGrath. It's co-authored by somebody who used to lecture at Heathrop, where I went to university, called Joanna Collicut McGrath. Alistair McGrath really is a, a pretty solid theologian, especially for readers who are coming to the question, who are interested, uh, but don't necessarily have a lot of background to the conversation. Alistair McGrath has actually written quite a few books responding to Dawkins. So Dawkins' God is another one he wrote. But I think really, in terms of its brevity, I would say the Dawkins delusion is probably the best one that I've read responding to him. He wrote another book called Why God Just Won't Go Away, because, of course, the New Atheist predicted that religion would be over and the, the you know, we're in the death, final death pangs of religion. And, of course, religion has proved to be much more stubborn than they realised and they had a very sort of Eurocentric view. And that was a, a, yeah, there's a book that sort of deals with that sort of question called Why God Won't Go Away, also by Alistair McGrath. But there are other books as well. You know, I, I read The Thinker's Guide to God by Peter Vardy, who's not coming from this from a faith perspective. I should probably add, Alistair McGrath is a lecturer at the University of Oxford, by the way. So he's not, uh, he's not just your average man on the street sort of opining about a, a discipline he doesn't know. He's a, a theologian, um, yeah, and a, a very well-respected one. He didn't he convert as well from atheism? Uh, quite possibly, yeah. I know he's. I, th I think he's Church of England. I think. Yeah, I think he. I think he was convert from atheism mm. uh, to Church of England. The book that I was just describing by Peter Vardy. Now, Peter, I don't think would describe. I think he'd probably describe himself as an agnostic, but it's a really good sort of book if you're, you know, A level age. It has a good comprehensive overview of the general sort of things that you'll learn 
I think in an A-level, and it goes into a little bit more detail. I think at the stage that I read the book, he actually helped write the exam papers, I think. so. Uh, and I actually, in the end, I was taught by him at university. I have to say he was a fantastic lecturer. Yeah, very sort of influential. So they were the sorts of things then that I read in my late teens. When I went into theology and things, you know, people had questions about the liturgy, about scripture. So I read people like Scott Hahn. There also people had questions about salvation. So I read Hansers von Balthasar's Dare We Hope, uh, which actually I only found out about when I was at university. But this is about the question of dare we hope that all will be saved. And uh, what von Balthasar actually says is, well, actually, we have a duty to hope. If you look at Aquinas on, um, if you look at Aquinas on on the question of hope, this coupled maybe with Joseph Ratzinger's eschatology. There's also a book by somebody called O'Callaghan, which is also one eschatology. And again, they bring a lot to bear on interpretations, for example, of the passage of the narrow gate. You know, a road is the wide that leads to destruction. And uh, narrow is the path that that leads to leads to salvation and things. So you know, many take the wide path to destruction, and few take the narrow the narrow gate. How do we understand that? For example, in the context of things like the Jesus who leaves the ninety nine sheep behind to go searching for the one sheep. So Callahan, Joseph Ratzinger, who later became Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, and wrote a great book called Space Salve uh, on Christian hope. And how we, yeah, we hope for all to be saved. Lumen Gentium, of course, which talks about talks about how the offer of salvation is offered to uh, all people in a way known only to God. Yeah, the Second Vatican Council, documents of the Second Vatican Council. People like Yves Congar I've come to appreciate much more in recent years. He wrote a book called True and False Reform in the Church. And there's a big debate actually going, I say a big debate, I mean how big it is. I think the majority of people don't really know about the debate. But, you know, on internet circles, there's a big debate going on about reform in the church and things. And Yves Congar's got a fantastic book on true and false reform in the church. People tend to go for people like John Henry Newman's essay on the development of Christian doctrine. But actually, Newman himself wouldn't have taken his principles be hard and fast. And they were historical rather than more theological. And Yves Congar is more theological, uh, I think, in his in his approach to these things. People like Yves Congar, Benedict XVI, Hans Urs von Balthasar, these were all people who were at the Second Vatican Council who were very influential on Catholic theology. Scott Hahn is a biblical scholar who wrote books about biblical theology uh, in a way that actually most people can understand. And that's what I loved about that. I remember going to Pentasif before I went to university. And one of the Franciscans said to me, oh, you're going to study university? Actually, he said it to my nan, actually. He said, oh, he's going to university. Actually, oh, maybe it's my Auntie Janice's. I can't remember. But um, he said, he's going to university. This is the book that he wants to read, The Lamb's Supper by Scott Hahn. And it was about understanding the book of Revelation and how you understand the book of Revelation in the context of the Mass. That, that really, when I read the book, it was so easy to read. I was in my late teens. It was before I went to university, I think. It was the first book I'd actually read other than the Bible about the Bible. And it was just so accessible and easy to understand. So I would say, yeah, they're people. And then later, of course, Bishop Robert Barron, particularly through his YouTube videos, he had a really strong impact on me because he'd explained the faith in an intelligent, not dumbed down way, but in a way that was accessible, easy to understand, compelling, attractive. And it was in the form of video, so I didn't even have to read it. Uh, <laughs> I would encourage you, if you haven't watched any of Bishop Barron's videos, go to his YouTube channel 
and uh, check them out. He did a program called the Catholicism series, uh, which is over 10 years old now, but I think it's one of the most beautiful introductions to Catholicism I've ever seen. Very beautifully filmed. And, if, and when I was at university, I should probably also say, I then later came to reading more spiritual classics, and that's really where my interest has peaked now. So my interest began with philosophy of religion and answering people on a philosophical level, and that's remained, and I like having conversations on that level. But I found much more personally nourishing the writings of people like St. Therese of Lisieux, uh, her story of a soul, Thomas Aquinas on charity, St. Aylred of Riveau on friendship. Uh, he wrote a book called On Spiritual Friendship, which I think everybody should read. Uh, St. Dorotheus of Gaza, who most people haven't heard of. He was very influential on Pope Francis. He wrote uh, something called On Self-Accusation, and it's all about how we should rather than accusing other people we should accuse ourselves and it's all about how we remove the plank from our own eye before we try to remove the twig in or the splinter in our neighbor's eye yeah those those are probably some of the I've, i realize i've done one of those things again where i've gone on and on and on and on so <laughs> i'll shut up again people are probably bored of listening to me what about you you know what about what books and thinkers and things have have influenced uh influenced you what i find fascinating about what you've just mentioned there is that there's so many different thinkers that have played a part there i think one of the problems i had when i first became interested in the faith was that i just read one writer one author one thinker uh, and that was scott Hahn. i just read every book by him that i could get and funny enough you're the person great author <laughs> funny enough you're the person that introduced me to him um, I mean, he's not the worst thinker, actually, to spend a load of time on because... I was worried where you were going with that. <laughs> he's not the worst thinker in the world, but... <laughs> no, no, hear me out. He's not the worst thinker because I think he's a good thinker. And that's because he points beyond himself to other authors. And even in his, like, really uh, accessible books, like The Lamb's Supper, as as you said, is, is easily accessible. Uh, even some of his other more popular books are easy to get into but even in them he points beyond what he's writing about in such an easy way that you don't even realize he's drawing in all these other different authors and thoughts like you and then when you go on to study a bit further or read a bit further you realize that actually i've heard of this idea before because you heard it with scott you read him. yeah yeah this is one of the things i love about bishop Barron. Is, you know, in every, in almost every video, he brings like three or four different other thinkers to bear. You know, and, and isn't that wonderful? We've got such a rich intellectual tradition. And he doesn't just draw upon Catholics. He draws on Anglican scholars like N.T. Wright, uh, who's a biblical scholar uh, in the Anglican Communion, former Bishop of Durham. Uh, yeah, but cracking biblical scholar. Yeah, there's loads of, um, loads of stuff out there. And I, I, Thomas, you've just reminded me of Thomas Aquinas, who says, beware of the man of one book. I, interestingly, on Twitter, somebody said to me once, you know, oh, you know, you you Christians, you know, you've only you've only, you know, you've got one book and you sort of stick to it and ignore everything else. And I said, well, actually, the Bible is a library. And maybe if you'd read it, you'd know <laughs> if you'd read it, you'd know that I can be very blunt when I want to be. Uh, you know, I'm not, it's true to say that I'm much less blunt than I used to be, much less rough around the edges. And maybe actually I've lost something by not being as blunt, but I also think I've gained something by not being as blunt, you know. Actually, I think a lot of the best authors or the ones who are enduring 
are those who are able to point beyond themselves to other authors. Uh, you know, think of like Pope Benedict XVI and his oh, writings. You know, like the his writings on on Jesus are so easily you're so easily accessible. Uh, even his encyclicals as well. Deus Caritas Est, yeah. is that an encyclical? My favorite one, yeah. Deus Caritas Est, yeah. Well, that's so easily readable, but it's so spiritually yeah. dense. and it's, it's just so fruitful to read these things. But I think the best authors point beyond themselves to others. And even those in conversation, if you can point beyond yourself to great thinkers it shows actually that you're probably a good thinker <laughs> you know th there's an interesting point on that on that issue when i first started trying to read benedict the 16th i was a teenager and i i tried to read uh his book jesus of nazareth and i didn't understand it it was it was really above me but now when i read it you know <laughs> having studied a theology degree and 10 years later i now understand it probably says more about me than the than the, than the book but um i i find that sometimes you can come to a text and you might not get it that first time round because you might not be in the right place yourself and then you come to it again a couple of years later and then you understand it like have you have you ever found yourself in that sort of situation and not just i mean in terms of education or something like that you know sometimes you're just not in the right space to get what a particular thinker is saying sometimes you need a bit more experience and things you know i remember when i first became interested in the faith and you gave me a few books. You gave me Scott Hahn book, The Lamb's Supper, which is very easily accessible. And you gave me Fred Copleston's book on contemporary philosophy. Oh, yeah. And I, I think that. Gerard, was it Gerard Collins or Gerard O'Collins? Gerard O'Collins, yeah, on the resurrection. On the resurrection. Yeah, and that's tough. <laughs> those two <laughs> books, the two last books I mentioned, were just so difficult to read. I couldn't get into it at all. And I, I think that proves the, the point is you you have to start reading. Build yourself up. Yeah, you have to go with something which links to where you are as well. Maybe the Copleston book now I could uh, I could pick up and read a little bit. But the the other one is just it was just so dense. I don't think I, I don't think I'd be able to pick it up now. <laughs> It'd be interesting to get your take on it if you if you went back to it uh, to see what you make of it now. Yeah. I wonder where that book is. In I the bed, maybe? <laughs> probably probably long gone, probably long gone. But who would you recommend as an author to someone who perhaps was just interested in reading a little bit about the faith? I mean, Scott Hahn, most of his popular books. He's not yeah. just a popular author. As you said, he's a, he's, he is a scholar. And yeah. he, he does have some very complicated academic reading and academic papers and things. But he also has a lot that's really accessible doesn't he you know I, it really depends what area yeah so he he's someone i'd recommend if you know if someone was like a, a, a creator catholic goes to mass for a long time uh, has been going to mass for many years like the book on the lamb's supper which is obviously linked to revelation is a really good book because it explains the background to the things we do in the mass so you don't have to have a good understanding of revelation but mm -hmm. if you have a good experiential experience um experiential knowledge of the mass then that's a really good place to start or if like you have a good understanding of mary mm -hmm. from praying the rosary over many years then hail holy queen by scott Hahn is a fantastic book to to start reading but is there anything like that that you'd recommend for those who are, their interest is piqued by something within christianity or catholicism 
I would it would really depend on what it was that they were looking for. So if they're looking for just a sort of general overview of the faith that's pretty easy to understand, I'd maybe go for uh, Bishop Barron's Catholicism. Uh, you could probably get it for less than a tenner now on Amazon, I imagine. The, another book that I might recommend would be by Thomas Joseph White called The Light of Christ. But that's a little bit more, that's a little bit more involved than Bishop Barron. It's a little bit uh, harder to understand, but it's still very good. It's a beautiful book, but he doesn't waste any words. He doesn't. <laughs> He's also a Dominican, so he'll be helping a brother out. Uh, <laughs> Oh, what else might I suggest? I'd also suggest some of the spiritual classics, you know, but I'd say maybe go for one of those broad overviews and things and then move on to things like Teresa Plissou's Autobiography of a Soul, Aylred of Riveau on Spiritual Friendship. A lot of people will go for Augustine, uh, his Confessions, you know, the, the spiritual classics, really, and things like that. Some people will go for books by Frank Sheed. Now, I've got to confess, I can't recommend them because I haven't read him. Uh, but I think you've read Frank Sheed, haven't you? Yeah, I've read some of Frank Sheed. He has a famous book called To Know Christ Jesus, which is basically his reflections, his lifetime worth of reflections on the life of Jesus, uh, on especially the Gospels. Um, he it's It's written a while ago, so it's maybe a little bit difficult to start reading, but it's a very good book. Uh, if you wanted to, you know, more about the life of Jesus, because he links together things so well and gives a bit of the background of the Old Testament and, and things like that. He's he's a good author, I think, if someone wants to explore the life of Jesus some more. And actually, there's another book by Fulton Sheen as well on the life of Jesus, which is like in terms of entry level, it's a really good uh, It's not the one called The Life of Christ. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I found that to be very, very easily accessible as well it's written in an easily readable manner there's, there's a book that i've just remembered by one of my brothers who's gone to his eternal reward called father gerald van comma op um, he wrote a book called the heart of man and uh, he really looks at god as creator as both lover and maker and it's under these two aspects of lover and maker that then he considers not only God, but the human person and that the human person in imitating God as lover and maker then finds fulfillment. So this is a quote from him. The heart of man is a hunger for the reality which lies about him and beyond him. And I'd say it's a really good sort of maybe I'd call it a sort of spiritually instinctive sort of piece. Um, and, it, you know, he talks about how the human person expresses their love in the capacity of maker, of love itself, of art, of the family, the church and the world, and how there's a reverence for all that lives, you know. So I, that's another book I might recommend, The Heart of Man. I can't remember if it's in print or not, but I'm sure you must be able to find it somewhere. A good moment to, to end on then and to end this episode. So our next session is on our next episode is on friendship. Look out for that. I think that would be a really good one. You will have some insights from one of your favorites you've mentioned today, St. Alred of Revo. Revo, yeah, St. Alred of Revo. And Therese and St. Thomas. I'm really looking forward to hearing your reflections on, on French. <laughs> Well, a lot of them will come from knowing you, you know, a lot of them will come from knowing you and 
my friend David and Andrew and Amelia and Jonathan and you know now you're gonna get in trouble for not mentioning someone <laughs> exactly yeah I thought as soon as I mentioned you I thought okay who else have I got to put in <laughs> Linus Cletus Clement Sixtus Cornelius Cyprian Lawrence Chrysogonus John and Paul Cosmos and Damien and, and all your saints and all my friends uh, <laughs> I think that's probably a, a good way of summarizing it it's a good get out clause to say and and all your saints and all my friends and all my friends you know who you are anyway until next episode god bless bye god bless